Welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. This is episode 44, B2B Content Marketing Trends for 2021, and it starts right now. Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Last Call. If you don't have time to stay up to date on the latest news affecting the digital marketing landscape, listen to Digital Marketing Happy Hour Last Call for a brief recap on the latest news with commentary so you can stay informed. A new episode drops every Monday. For more information, visit araxam.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Well, Chris, this is a happy hour as always, and we always like to start with a few little beverages. So can you share with the audience what you're drinking right now? Yes. Well, we are in the dead of winter now, which, you know, it's a Florida winter, so it's still relatively warm here, but I like to be reminded of summer. So I am drinking a Last Days of Summer by the Tampa Bay Brewing Company, which is a sour ale, which I know is an acquired taste, but I am a big fan of sours and, uh, Tampa Bay Brewing Company really hit one out of the park with this one. So that's what I'm enjoying. What about you, Ryan? Nice. Got a beer. You're keeping it local. I'm doing the opposite. I have a red wine and it's from Italy. So we're completely uh, at different ends of the spectrum here. Had some nice Italian meal and it kind of carried over from that. I got another bottle. So it's a uh, not a, a huge Chianti fan, but uh, it is a uh, Poggerino. Probably butchered that. Uh, Chianti Classico Reserva, and it's fantastic. And I not only like it to have it with food, but it's a wine that does well without food and especially at happy hour. You can never go wrong with an Italian wine. Well, we have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Caselli. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to the podcast, then welcome and thank you for joining us. If you're a repeat listener, We appreciate you coming back. And if you continue to find value in this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, now also on Audible or wherever you choose to listen to this podcast. In this episode, we are following up from our last episode, which was B2C content marketing trends. Today, we're discussing the latest B2B content marketing research and trends for 2021 that was conducted by the Content Marketing Institute and Marketing Pros. The research study surveyed content marketers about the new complexity the pandemic brought to content marketing while continuing to ask about content creation and distribution, metrics and goals, and budgets and spending. It goes without saying that 2020 was a challenge for everybody. However, the obstacles created by the digital transformation of 2020 made some of these challenges even steeper. As these trends change, we've got your feedback and we've seen that you like to keep up to date with these latest trends and studies. So we're going to bring them to you. And today we're also going to compare what we talked about last week on the B2C and compare it to the research that we're finding with B2B. So Chris, let's get started with the first on B2B marketers' opinions about the changes that their organization made to content marketing in response to the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. So just as a reminder, and I'm pretty sure everybody knows this, but just to make sure, 
Uh, B2C is talking about business to consumer, which is businesses that sell directly to the consumers. In this podcast, we're focusing on the B2B content marketing trends, which is to say businesses that sell to other businesses. And you might think that a lot of the content marketing trends would be the same. And that's actually where you'd be wrong, although there are definitely similarities. So the first part of the survey asked B2B marketers their opinions about changes that their organization made to content marketing in response to the pandemic. So the first one was, our organization made quick changes due to the pandemic. And 83% of marketers in the B2B space either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed with that sentiment, which is right on par with what the B2C space saw, right, in terms of how quickly the organization made changes. In B2C, it was 82%. B2B, it was 83%. Then we move on to our organization made effective changes due to the pandemic, right? And the differential there, obviously, is we responded quickly, but did the changes that we enacted, did the content changes more specifically we enacted, did they have an impact? Were they effective? And in the B2B space, 80% said strongly agree or somewhat agree, which is dead even with the B2C space, right? 80% for both of those. And then finally, the last question in this section was, we expect some of the changes we made to stay in effect for the foreseeable future. And that makes a lot of sense because we don't know if and when this COVID-19 pandemic will come to an end and what impact that will have on business. So, you know, with the content marketing changes that were put into effect, do you expect to see them stay in effect? And in the B2B space, 86% said, yes, we absolutely do expect that, which again, pretty in line with the B2C space, Ryan, in that 84% said that they expect those changes to stay in effect. So uh, not surprising to see the, the trends here, but kind of interesting nonetheless. Yeah, I agree with you. This is the one I thought would stay relatively close in both B2B and B2C. The one that was the biggest was basically saying whatever changes that were made in 2020, they're going to stay in effect for the foreseeable future. And there is a new normal. And, and that's something we've heard about, you know, through life and the personal ways that we go about handling our, you know, our daily lives, whether it's going to stores and going to the gas station, the grocery store, whatever it is. Those things have changed and some of it will go back to normal. I think in the business world, the changes that we're seeing, I think a lot of it is going to stay or there's going to be some sort of modification to it. And that could be just as simple as the work from home. I know a lot of companies and some of the larger companies that have been remote have been saving millions and millions of dollars by having their staffs work from home. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of them even stretch it out a little bit more as far as they can, because they're saving a lot of money. Now, maybe some of them aren't getting the revenue that they did either, but they're still making money because they're not spending as much. So certain trends we'll see and, and, and certain studies we've also seen about this too. Do people want to go back fully to work or do people want to stay at home? And I think we've, I've read a lot that it's kind of a hybrid. Some people like maybe go in the office twice a week and work from home, maybe three days a week, something like that. So those are the types of changes I think for the foreseeable future we're going to see. But from a marketing standpoint, you know, whatever these changes are, basically anywhere from 84 to 86% say these changes are going to stay for the foreseeable future. What is the foreseeable future? You'd have to think it's at least 2021 going through this. And in 2022, we'll, you know, cross that bridge when we get to it. So 
everything was pretty in line with uh, the changes that were made to the pandemic. So not overly surprising there. The next question that was asked, content marketing changes B2B organizations made in response to the pandemic. Now, the order at which we're going to go through these was pretty much the same between B2B and B2C. However, there were some drastic differences between the two, and we'll explain here. So the number one change that was made in response to the pandemic for B2B was that they changed the targeting and their measurement strategy. That was about 70% made that change. In the B2C world, that was about 63%, but still number one for both. And I think you're going to see a little bit of that trend continue as we go through these. So B2B has larger percentages that changed the messaging. Next was the they adjusted their editorial calendar, and then they changed their content distribution. So those are the top three for B2B. Those were also the top three for B2C. Again, just the percentages were different. One of the things I thought was really interesting that kind of jumped out at me, when we talked about re-examining the customer journey, a larger percentage of that actually was in B2C that re-examined their customer journey and a little bit less came from B2B. My initial thought was B2B typically has better resources, a little bit more funding, a little bit more budget, that that would have been also an area of priority that would have seen a little bit more you know, re-examination, but not so much the case in this area, B2C kind of took the lead on that. So, you know, Chris, I know you'll go through a couple more of these too, but those were just some of the things that sort of jumped out at me in the response. Yeah, that does actually surprise me, Ryan, because the customer journey is essentially the journey a customer goes on to purchase a product or a service from you. And you could argue that, well, despite the pandemic, the journey hasn't changed much, except I think that's a false argument. And the reason I say that is, it might not have changed much from your perspective or from the business's perspective. However, it, you don't know what perspective the businesses you're working with have in terms of what your journey looks like, right? And you mentioned remote work. Well, that's a perfect example, right? If they're not in the office and they're not sitting right next to their procurement officer, the way that they purchase goods and services might have changed as a result of the digital transformation. So it surprises me that that number is so low for reexamine the customer journey. But overall, a lot of the content marketing changes that you mentioned, you know, changed the targeting or the messaging, adjusted the editorial calendar, changed their content distribution or promotion strategy, made updates to the website. They're on average of between 5 and 10% higher on the B2B side than they were on the B2C side, which is kind of interesting to me. The one major differentiator here is there's a stat here for changed content marketing metrics, which is 14% for B2B, and that was 13% in the B2C space, which really does not surprise me all that much, right? Because in the grand scheme of things, your metrics or how you're measuring whether your content had an impact probably did not change much, even if the content itself did. And so the idea that you would change the metrics you're using to measure that content probably not as likely to happen. So interesting to see that those were pretty much in line, but that a lot of the other areas increased. I will say in looking at these stats that content marketers reacted quickly and admirably to the pandemic's impact by sort of addressing those immediate needs, right? You talked about the messaging, we talked about the editorial calendar, the distribution, 
those are great and necessary sort of in the moment changes. Pandemic shuts things down. Everybody goes remote. Individuals and businesses need to know how to do business with you. And so very quickly, the team responded and addressed the content needs. However, as the effects of the pandemic drag on, putting the customer first is that key to long-term success. And that's why it surprises me that the re-examining of the customer journey was as low as it was, because as this drags on, as there are more longer-term impacts to businesses and individuals, you have to wonder what that changes in their journey and what that means in terms of their interaction with your business. Another thing, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, Ryan, is there was a section on learning from top performers. And this is a section that's really important to you and you and me, because what we look for is the differentiators. What are the things that the businesses that are succeeding doing that's different from the ones that are not, or maybe are less successful? And there's two stark differences between these two groups, and they fall in line with things we talk about on Digital Marketing Happy Hour all the time. The first is purpose, or sort of intent, and the second is actions. Yeah, Chris, this is last that we're going to talk about, but probably one of the most important things that we're going to talk about is really what are the top performers doing that maybe, you know, the least successful are not doing. And as Chris pointed out, there are stark differences between the two groups, you know, and again, purpose and actions. But quickly, just to go through and want to explain the definitions a top performer was basically the respondent of the survey characterized their organization's overall content marketing approach as it was either extremely or very successful. The least successful characterization for these organizations approach was either minimal or not successful at all. So again, these were marketers grading their own organization, but there are some stark contrasts. And first thing I'd like to look at, number one, what was the thing that the most successful organizations did with their content marketing? 94% said they used metrics to measure content performance. Can't overstate that enough. You know, the analytics is kind of like what the finishes in, in a sense of a campaign. You have to launch the campaign first. Uh, you have to launch your content, but you always have to go back to your Google analytics or the analytics of whatever platform that you've posted your content on, whether it's be social media, uh, whether it's your website, and you have to be able to measure that. So 94% of the most successful companies saying that they are doing it well and they're very successful at it. The least successful companies said 60% are doing this. Now, that was, again, relatively high for the least successful. Of all the categories that said they're not doing it well, that one was relatively high. So the least successful companies, 60% say, well, at least we're getting that part right. However, there's still 40% more out there that are not doing well with their content marketing. And you can start with using metrics to measure content performance. And why is that important? Because you could be thinking, well, you know, don't you have to put the content out there first before you can measure it? And while that is true, you also need to see where your audience is gravitating to, what types of content on the website are they doing? Also finding out what are the types of words and phrases, doing your research to find out you know, what they are using so that you can create that in your copy because you need to speak their language. So that was number one, using metrics to measure content performance. 
The next one that is the most successful at 80%, they use an editorial calendar. The least successful companies, only 50% say that they're using an editorial calendar. So here's what's kind of fascinating about this. Even the least successful for B2B companies are not using this. That's half. Yet, when we talked about what are the things that changed during the pandemic, the number two thing that people changed was their editorial calendar. And I think we need to recognize that because the half that aren't using an editorial calendar, this is an issue This has to do with planning. The half that were using an editorial calendar, when the pandemic hits, they went right to that and immediately adjusted that. So not only are they using it, it's part of their mix, it's part of their structure and their organization, they are also relying on it. And so when the unexpected happens, that was right at the top of the things that they adjusted for the strategy. So number one, you got to measure it. Number two, you're going to have to have, have that editorial calendar. Real quick behind that, an organization's content marketing is sophisticated and mature. People who have been doing it a while, I think would fit into this category with experience. However, 77% were successful. Only 10% of the least successful companies would consider themselves to have sophisticated. So that part, I'm not surprised at. I think coming up with a plan, coming up with a documented strategy are all things that are extremely important. And the reason why I say documented strategy, that also is an area where the least successful companies didn't have it. One out of every five companies reported that their company's content marketing was not successful. Only one in five actually had a documented strategy. So it's not surprising that 21% have a documented strategy and only 10% have an editorial calendar. You can see how all of these dovetail into each other. Now, of your most successful, 60% have a documented content marketing strategy with this. So when we start to look at this in the B2B world, you're starting to see you know, some huge separation of the things that are working for these organizations and then you're starting to see the gaps and what's not working. And basically, it doesn't seem to be as organized. There's not a whole lot of structure that's involved in it. And you know, for me, structure comes down with not just talking about it, but literally documenting, putting it into you know whether it's a Google Drive or a Dropbox or whatever, but having that strategy pen to paper so that you can your team can follow it, and then you can have some organized thoughts and a strategy approach to your content marketing. So there's a couple other things here, Chris, but for me, those were a couple of things that really stood out for those that have success compared to those who are not having so much success. Yeah, Ryan, it really circles back to purpose and actions. You and I actually did a podcast in June of last year. It was episode eight entitled The Five Steps to Building a Real Marketing Campaign. And in it, we talked about the process needed to successfully launch any campaign. And really, all five of those steps are centered on purpose and actions. Your purpose should be, why are you doing what you are doing, right? What is your intent behind it? In order to formulate that, you should do some research to figure out who you're trying to reach and how you're trying to influence them. But then from there, you should know exactly what your goal is or your intended outcome. And then once you've identified those things, defining the actions, what's the strategy, what's the tactics, and then measuring. If you're building all this great content, but you're not going out there and taking a look at it to see what's performing, what's resonating with the audience, 
what's the purpose behind the content? How do you know if the content is impactful, if it's driving the actions that you are attempting to drive? And so those are some keys to success. And I think this survey shows firsthand the businesses that made a plan, that executed that plan, and then validated that plan. And that's the beauty of analytics, right? It is okay to be wrong, but you want to fail fast so that you can make changes to the plan so that you can then implement those changes and you can measure those results and get to the the successful outcomes that you're looking for. And I think a lot of this data, Ryan, that you just mentioned speaks exactly to that, right? Do you have a documented content marketing strategy? Well, the more successful companies do. Do you have a sophisticated content marketing presence? Do you use an editorial calendar, which is simply a calendar that outlines when you're going to publish which content and to which platforms? Do you have an established online community? Do you use metrics to measure content performance? In all of these cases, the most successful companies had a higher statistical average of engaging in these actions or these activities. Yeah, and another thing, it's what is your purpose for creating content? And at the very beginning, you have to define what is your objective and then taking that objective and creating a goal. The most successful companies are using content marketing successfully to, right off the bat, nurture their subscribers, their audience, and generate leads. That is the purpose of their content, of creating blogs, creating articles. Now, you can use content on social media. You can use that as your promotional channel. 73%, again, are using their content to nurture their audience and to generate leads. The companies that say it's not successful, only 38% were using this objective. When you're creating content, it kind of goes back to the beginning. You have to have a plan in place. You don't create content for the sake of creating content because everybody's doing it. You have to have a structure. You have to have a documented strategy. You have to have objectives. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to get? Are you trying to get you know, organic rankings? Okay. You want to increase your organic presence. Yes, that's great but you got to drill it down even further with it. And you want to get generate sales. Okay, that, that can work. That is part of the process. That can be an objective. For companies that had success with their content marketing, 64% used that content marketing to generate sales and revenue. 41% that said their content marketing wasn't successful did well with this. So when creating content marketing, Generating sales and revenue, you have to be a real realistic with your expectations. You can't put out a piece of content and then look, first of all, is it number one in the rankings? Is it on the first page? No. Okay. Did you give it time? What have you done to promote it? You know, market your marketing. Number two, okay, well, we didn't get any sales from it because we looked in our analytics. We saw that people didn't touch this page and then go and purchase our product. Again, you have to be realistic about everything. Is it the right content? Is it the right audience? Have you built a, an audience of subscribers? How big is your list? That still is important. We know if you listen to our podcast, email marketing is far from dead and it's very much alive. Building a subscriber list is huge and it plays a big part into generating sales and revenue. Are you using your content on your website to grow your email list? So these are things that, Having a documented strategy and having these questions and answers throughout your strategy, I think it is key. And those are the difference makers between B2B and B2C organizations that see success 
and those that don't. And we're seeing huge gaps in the topics we just talked about. The ones who voted their organization as being successful in these topics, that's a huge difference than the ones who are not. Yeah, Ryan, there's no question. Content is king. And if you've been listening to Last Call, which is the marketing news podcast that we've been running on a weekly basis now, all of our leading stories have had to do with content. I think the one one of the articles we mentioned in the last week was, you know, Disney Plus subscriber count hitting 95 million. And you're seeing all these spawn-off services now in, in Paramount Plus. And, you know, the, the reality of it is, is people are going where the content is that they want to see. So you need to think of yourself as part of that solution. If you are producing content that your audience is interested in, they're going to come to you as the authority on that seek more of that content. And that's what's also going to lead them to trust you when it comes time to make buying decisions regarding a product or a service. So content marketing is an instrumental part of any marketing strategy. And to Ryan's point, those that have purpose and intentful actions are the ones that are being successful here, right? Create your plan, execute your plan, measure how your plan performed, make changes to it, and revise your content strategy. So that will wrap up another episode of the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. But of course, no episode is complete without the Keep It Light segment. So Ryan, what are you binge watching or reading this week? So I finally discovered, although it's been on, I think, NBC, and it might even still be, but I came across it on Netflix, which is uh, A Good Place with uh, Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. And I heard some good things about it. I think it was critically claimed as a very, you know, pretty funny. So I finally started to watch it and it's pretty good. It's warped. Uh, It's got a, you know, kind of a little crazy sense of humor with it uh, where they think they're in the good place and, you know, in sort of this heaven and you start to find out things aren't what they seem. And, and it's done in a, uh, I don't know, I thought in a very pretty intelligent way. And at the same time, it's just off the charts. And it's, it, it was funny. I liked it. It's, it's amusing. I, you know, it's they're only like 22 minutes long. So I am in the midst of watching uh, The Good Place and it's pretty funny. So that's what I'm doing. What about you, Chris? So I have spent a lot of time at the ball field lately as my youngest son is playing competitive baseball, which is a lot of fun. But it also means a lot of hours of practice. And so while he's on the field practicing, I like to get a walk in and listen to, you know, Audible or podcasts and things like that. And Adam Grant, who is one of my top three favorite authors all time, has just released a new book or released it, I I should say, early part of February called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And in it, he talks about how all of us have a certain set of, you know, beliefs and ideas that we cling to. And how the smarter you are, the more challenging it is to let go of those beliefs, even in the face of data that would tell you otherwise. And it's kind of interesting, you know, reading this book or listening to this book through the lens of the political season that we just went through here in the U.S. and the way, you know, our ideologies pull us further apart, even though science should theoretically be pushing us further and further together. So it's it's an excellent book and it really challenges the way you think about some things. And I, I love Adam Grant. I would highly recommend him to anybody. Well, we want to hear from you. If you heard something you loved on this episode, if your business aligns with some of the stats that we talked about, we want to hear your feedback. We encourage you to reach out to us, send us an email, podcast at araxan.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Also hit us up on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle, Ryan Smith, F-L-A, 
or go on LinkedIn and do a quick search for Ryan Smith Marketing. You'll find me there. And the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. You can find me under my name, Chris Casale, but you can also find me under Araxum and of course, Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audible, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day. Be kind to each other. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album Message. Learn more at BetterWithMusic.com. Thank you for listening.